Bill Haggerty is in his first term as a U.S. Senator. He joins Charlie and Katie to talk about his very personal connection to Clarksville. He also shares some of the issues he's had to deal with during his first term, including the border crisis, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and his current Tennessee Economic Development Tour, all in this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. This is a, quite an honor that you took time out of your day to come join us. Listen, I'm delighted to be here. This is like home for me. Clarksville's like a second home. This is, in fact, the town where my parents met. Oh, that's awesome. My mother's older sister uh, was Edith Hudson. And some some mm-hmm. folks probably remember my Aunt Edith. And um, my mother was over here in one of her, maybe it was her very first teaching assignment. Uh, certainly one of them. She was a, she, my mom's still, still with me, uh, but she was a lifelong school teacher, career educator. Mm-hmm. In and the Clarksville school system? She, she started out at Clarksville High School. I remember wow. her telling me that, because she, she Went to college at age 16. She was young as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And she, I think she was teaching over here when she was 19 or 20 years old. And she said, some of the kids in class (laughs) were were her age, you know, (laughs) that she was, uh, that that, that she was teaching. But um, she, you you may know Jack Turner here. He he was one of her students. And mom always reminds him, you're not that much, uh, (laughs) I'm not that much older than than you. But um, this is a place that has a special, Clarksville has a special place in my heart uh, just because of the family ties here. Mm-hmm. And again, who couldn't love a town where your parents met? And your mom taught. I mean, that's, that's just like grassroots right there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was with my mother earlier today and I told her how, how many lives she's touched, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, across the state. She taught in here in Montgomery County. She taught in, in uh, Sumner County. She taught in Davidson County. Uh, and just many, many kids' lives that she's touched over a career that spanned spanned over 50 years. Yeah, that's pretty cool. My wife is a school teacher, and now she does something in the school system, but every year she'll she'll see someone that has graduated, gone mm-hmm. out to make something of themselves, yeah. and, or even get a note in the mail just saying, thank you for all you did as I was coming up. Yeah, this happens to me a lot, too. When I was younger in particular, mm-hmm. people come up and say, please tell your mom that her advice was right on the money. And mm-hmm. please tell your mom this or that mm-hmm. about their career and how much they appreciated her pointing them in just that right direction at the right point in their life. And those wow. are just the ones you guys know about. There's probably, there's so many others that you don't know about, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. That's so exactly that's a beautiful right. story. Well, I think, I think what's really cool, Katie, is that we've got a U.S. Senator mm-hmm. in, in the studio with us and he's going to fill us in on so much stuff. But I, I just wonder, what's it like eight months? You've been doing this for eight months. It's been eight crazy months, hasn't it? It's, it sort of feels like dog years, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The last, particularly the last couple of weeks, were just exhausting. Yeah, uh, yeah. All nighters, uh, you know, a, a big fight over this infrastructure bill. And, um, you know, my, I know that I'm not the most popular person in Washington right now, but I stopped the attempt to accelerate the uh, infrastructure bill yeah. through when they dropped a 2,700 page bill on our desks. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, you know, you've got a few days to review it. They didn't even have the cost figures, but they promised all along this will be hard infrastructure and it will be paid for. Mm-hmm. And what we found out, uh, we'd already begun to find out, um, you know, a few days into it was that there was a lot of stuff in that bill that was not hard infrastructure. And then when we got the budget score 
from the Congressional Budget Office. They're the only entity that actually is chartered by Congress to yeah. figure out what these things cost. The Congressional Budget Office said, well, you missed the mark on the on the cost, uh, and not by a little, yeah. but by over a quarter of a trillion dollars. Wow. And that's when I said, we are not going to accelerate mm-hmm. this. And I think the majority leader, Chuck Schumer's goal was to accelerate it that night. Mm-hmm. He wanted to pass it that night, and a lot of people were willing to do that. And what that would have done was given this sort of bipartisan patina, this bipartisan uh. coding to the process so we could roll right into the $3.5 mm-hmm. trillion dollar you know, socialist bonanza that Bernie Sanders has been drafting and crafting. And really what it is, is the full-blown Green New Deal with -hmm. some other bad things added to it from a tax policy standpoint that would make America the least competitive nation on the planet and in which have more of our hard-earned jobs overseas. And it would put more and more people into the hands of government, uh, more government dependency. That's not the America that I think people in Tennessee want and frankly across the country. So what I did was, was... stop the accelerated process, again, incurring a lot of wrath and mm-hmm. wrath in the meantime, but we held it for five days. What did that do? That gave us a chance to put some sunshine on this. It gave America a chance to see what was really in this. And it moved five of my colleagues mm-hmm. uh, in my direction. I hoped I would get more, yeah. but five of my colleagues, um, you know, changed the way they were planning to vote and, and, and moved over to vote with me. It also put a tremendous amount of pressure on the members of the House of Representatives who were in these swing districts who had voted for it, you know, who, who, who were in indicating they're going to vote in that direction before. I think it's going to be much harder for them right now. And I, I think we need to just take, you know, take stock of the fact that we are piling trillions and trillions of dollars on the shoulders of our children and grandchildren. Right. And we can't just accelerate something like this in the middle of the night. We know, I think the American public, certainly now that I'm back in Tennessee, people are telling me, we appreciate the fact that you fought. We appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that you've shown daylight on this. I was with President Trump on Friday. Up in his uh, uh, up in Bedminster, New Jersey, with him, uh, and, and spent the day with him up there on Friday. And he said, "Bill, I know this has been a tough time for you. I understand how it works there in Washington." But he said, "The American people are with you," and uh, I appreciated that uh, sentiment very much. You know, you well, talk I, about. Oh, I'm sorry, Katie. No, I was going to say I appreciate what you did as well because um, it seems to me that this year there's been this movement to try to push things through as quickly as you can. So why do you think that they were wanting to push that through so quickly? Well, again, um, the Senate is supposed to be the world's greatest deliberative body. That's how they build right. it. And it, it gets back to what I think is a complete lack of respect for the institutions in the United States. If you look at what the Democrats did when they first took office, their very first bill was called H.R. 1. That's mm-hmm. one in the Senate. And that's about completely destroying elections as we know them, yeah. taking the constitutionally uh, chartered right of state legislatures to set to set mm-hmm. uh, election rules around the country, to federal, take it all away from them, to federalize it, and frankly, to implement some of the things that make the elections most vulnerable to fraud. When former President Jimmy Carter, when former Secretary of State James Baker headed a bipartisan commission to look at election integrity in the United States, the two things they identified as the biggest vulnerabilities in terms of election fraud were, guess what? Mail-in balloting mm-hmm. and ballot harvesting. And mm. the legislation that the Democrats have tried to put forward would actually legislate that as a requirement. Right. Uh, you look at what they've done with the Supreme Court 
an institution that I think we all know and respect. Well, they've got a commission already formed right now about packing the Supreme Court, yeah, again, blowing it up. Um, and if you think about the institution of the Senate, the world's greatest deliberative body, well, Thursday night a week ago, Chuck Schumer, after finding out that uh, this huge infrastructure package had fallen over a quarter of a trillion short, he wanted to stop all deliberation. He wanted mm. to accelerate the process, and a lot of people wanted to go along with it. Again, I wasn't elected by the people of Tennessee to be the most popular person in the United States yeah. Senate. I, I was elected that. to represent their interest. And when I stopped it, I think a lot of people were, were surprised. A lot of people were angry. But uh, the American public had an opportunity to wake up to what's happening. Well, by pushing it through so quickly, too, it's able to they're, you're right, they're able to hide the things in there from the public and so, so that the news media can't grab it and... They can pass the agendas. Doesn't they, it feel familiar, Katie? Do you remember you got to pass it to find out what's yeah, in it? That's mm-hmm. what. That's that was. What, yeah, that's yeah, what, that was what happened with Obamacare and Nancy Pelosi, and and, yeah. and you know we 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 can't we can't be doing things like that. No, I agree. I just wish that you could like these election bills, and I've not read them, so I can't really give a good opinion on it. But it seems like you oh, just down all can't the really holes. get the truth. Because if, if you say something, somebody's going to say you're skewing it. And then if, you know, the news media gets it, they're going to they're going to twist it a little bit. It'd be nice to know the facts and everybody agreed to what the facts well, are. Well, I'll say this the way the way that the, the Democrats have become artful in this. It's 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 like this George Orwell 1984 say the opposite of what something is like. They call it the for the people act. Mm-hmm. It's not for the people. It's mm-hmm. for the politicians. It gives them the access to millions of taxpayer funds to run their campaign. This is for incumbent politicians to stay incumbents. You know, it, it takes the Federal Election Commission, which is obviously and logically should be a bipartisan, evenly split body so they can determine, you know, whether somebody violated a rule or not. They want to weaponize it. They want to make it an odd number where the, mm-hmm. where the party in power controls who's the chairman. And in that way, they can use that to, to chase their political opponents till the gates, well, to the gates yeah. of you know where. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it takes the most vulnerable uh, areas of potential election fraud, like ballot harvesting, as I mentioned, like mail-in balloting, mm-hmm. and, and actually legislates that those be done. This isn't about uh, voter access. If that was, that was a concern, we had more people vote in this past election than ever before. Uh, we don't have a problem with voter access. We have a problem with potential voter fraud that needs to be addressed and, and addressed soon. Agreed. And, and I feel like that the the election process should be at the state level. The federal level shouldn't be mandating to the states. Katie, that's what the Constitution requires. Mm-hmm. Yet they want to rip that away. The Constitution does not matter mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the viewpoint of those that want to push forward this H.R. 1 and S. 1. It's power. Mm-hmm. That's what matters to them. Set the Constitution aside, change all the rules, and, and create a new rule set where they feel they have an inherent advantage. I'm thinking of the topics that we we will kind of want to talk about, and it seems like everything has got to do with national security, whether mm-hmm. it's Afghanistan, border the, the border crisis. I mean, even even elections. I think all these are national security issues at some level. You're, you're so exactly right. Tell me, can you rank them, like where we're at on these? Crisis. So um, let's just run. Let's just run the gamut right now, if you will, because there are national security crises occurring everywhere. And to put it into perspective, I'll, I'll take a step back to my previous job. I served as United States ambassador to Japan. Japan's mm-hmm. the third largest economy in the world after the United States and China. We also have more military stationed in Japan, more U.S. military stationed there than any place else in the world. A lot of your listeners right here mm-hmm. around Fort Campbell will, uh, will, will appreciate the important role that our military plays in the whole Indo-Pacific region. Um, I spent more than half my time 
working on issues related to national defense and national mm. security for America and for our allies in that job. As I come back and take a look at what's happening right now, it seems that our national security is at risk on so many fronts. I'll start with what I think is the, the biggest and the most existential crisis to our nation, and that's our th- southern border. Uh, I agree. It's completely collapsed. And you look at the hypocrisy. It's easier to get across our southern border right now than it is to get a table in a restaurant in New York City mm-hmm. where they're requiring vaccine proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is easier to get across that border uh, at, at the south th- than it is to, you know, for, for, for you to walk into a hospital. They don't care whether you've got COVID. Uh, they don't care whether you've got a criminal record. Uh, the number of deportations has collapsed to a fraction of what it was before they before they collapsed the border. And the number of people coming across, as you know, has gone up astronomically. And month after month, we see it rise. This isn't a seasonal thing. This is the direct product of the Biden administration inviting these folks into our country. And I uh, am a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I took the first congressional delegation trip uh, after the pandemic. I was the first one sent out. I went to Guatemala to meet with their president. Mm -hmm. He, in no certain terms, told me the root cause of this problem you know, we hear a lot about root causes. He said the root cause are the messages coming from your White House. Hmm. Because the coyotes take these messages, they use them to market to the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. in, 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 in his country. These people will risk their entire life savings with the coyotes. They'll take a very dangerous trip. And what are the coyotes doing? They're using them to deflect so they can increase their drug trafficking into America. And I hate to say it, but human trafficking as well, yeah. which is, yes, is, is just, just terrible. And what's happening right here in Tennessee? We're seeing, and I've said time and time again, every town becomes a border town in this environment. You all have read about the private planes being chartered and flying these folks into Chattanooga. Uh, you know, bad things happened there as mm-hmm. a result. Uh, we've had, and I talk to sheriffs uh, across the state all the time, we've had a dramatic increase in overdoses from fentanyl and methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. Where's it coming from? The from border. across that border. And what we're seeing is that Tennessee children are dying as a result of this. And the Biden administration is doing everything they can to deflect and ignore and uh, avoid the problem. They even put Vice President Harris in charge of it. <laughs> and, and she went to, what, El Paso, which isn't even where the issue is? Exactly. She missed it by a 1,000 miles. In corporate America, you know, that's my background. I've been a business mm-hmm. person all my life. Yeah. In corporate America, if you if you performed on your job as poorly as she performed, you'd be a former CEO. <laughs> you'd be a former Not vice true. president. Uh, it's, 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 it's absolutely horrible. So the border, I got to put it at the top of the list. The most immediate crisis right now is what's happening in Afghanistan. And we just have to turn on the TV to, yeah. To, yeah. To, to, to have tears come to our eyes to mm-hmm. see what happened. I spoke with the Afghan ambassador to the United States over the weekend. She was fighting back tears as she spoke with me. Um, there's a sense of betrayal. There's a sense of loss and, and fear yeah. about what could happen. Uh, President Ghani came to see me. He came to, to see President Biden about uh, six weeks ago or so uh, in, in Washington. He asked to meet with me while he was in town. I had breakfast with him. And he said, we can accept whatever answer the United States uh, comes up with, but we need time to plan. There needs to right. be a plan put in place to, to address it. What we've seen happen here is the result of what's happened in so many other situations. The Biden administration has come in and they've decided that if the previous administration had anything to do with it, they're not going to do it. So they obviously didn't implement the plans that had been put in place by President Trump and by Secretary of State Pompeo. 
what they've done is, is just pull the plug with no plan. And what we're seeing is a complete collapse. Americans aren't safe that are there. And I understand from a recent New York Times report uh, that we've still got, you know, as much as as many as 20,000 Americans still there. Uh, we just got reports, 10,000, uh-huh. 10,000 German citizens, um, you know, still thousands and single digit thousands of British citizens that are there as well. Not only is it Americans' lives at risk, but our allies too. Yeah, and there just seems to be, you know, uh, a, a panic that's set mm-hmm. in. Uh, President Biden has been on vacation. I hear now that um, Angela Merkel from Germany and and Macron from France are going to come out and make their press conferences. That he's going to get around to making a press conference later today as well to talk about this. But we've had days and days of silence while this has been been happening. This is um, th- this is not the type of situation that Americans want to see. I think there's been a great sentiment among the American public that we you know, need to bring an end to endless wars. We've heard that and we, we sympathize with that. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be a responsible end. It needs to be an end with a plan, a plan to transfer power and, and, and to, to avoid results like we're witnessing unfold right now. Uh, America is very upset with what's happening there in Afghanistan. That's a, that's a very immediate problem. And we'll be working on it closely. China mm-hmm. is probably the biggest long-term problem. That mm-hmm. we've I would got. agree. And I spent a tremendous amount of my time as U.S. ambassador to Japan dealing with China. They're aggressive militarily. They're aggressive from an economic standpoint, as you know. They will subsidize industries. They will play by a different set of rules than we do. You know, um, cyber security is an issue with them stealing our secrets and our intellectual property is a big issue. And diplomatically, they've proven to be extraordinarily aggressive as well. Look at the control they took over the WHO, the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. the, the way they play in the United Nations and other bodies like that. They don't play by the same set of rules. We need to understand it, appreciate it, and not fall victim to China. When we do things like cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, when we do things that make America less competitive, China gains. Mm. Right. And when you look at the package that Bernie Sanders is going to, is, 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 authored and is being put forward now, all of that gives a competitive advantage to China. So we need to be ever, ever cognizant of China's role, their persistent malign influence. All we have to do is look at what happened with Hong Kong, look at how they're treating the Uyghur population there, and think hard about what's happening in the Taiwan Strait right now. Mm -hmm. China is a serious, serious threat. Russia. I was just dumbfounded to see President Biden go in with the START treaty, you know, our nuclear treaty with Russia, extends it by five years and gets nothing for it. Then Nord Stream 2, this is their pipeline going into Europe. President Trump had blocked that. Biden came in and it opens it right back up. Uh, These things are making the world less safe, giving Vladimir Putin more currency and more control over what happens to the economies in, in Eastern and Central, Eastern Europe and in, in Western Europe as well. Uh, the fact that President Biden would give a list of industries and sectors that Russia should not attack from uh-huh. a cybersecurity standpoint, the answer should be you shouldn't attack a single business or industry right. in America, yeah. period, full stop, yeah. or there will be consequences. Not here's the list, please, please, don't, please don't attack these. And then if you go to Iran, What's happening behind closed doors in Vienna right now uh, is, is hard for me to imagine. But what I see is capitulation after capitulation after capitulation from our administration to try to win Iran back into an accord that was going to put them on a path to have a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. They've con- continued to be the world's greatest sponsor of terror 
And here we are negotiating with them. And speaking of that, just look at the situation in Israel and the messages that came out during the 11 day war from, from the far left in Washington that got amplified through the media. Mm -hmm. It was as if Americans supported Hamas. Mm -hmm. I flew to Israel after the 11 day war to let our allies in Israel know that certainly here in Tennessee, whether you're a Republican and independent or a Democrat, we stand with Israel. And I told them that's true across America. The messages that you're hearing are a minority voice. Uh, I certainly hate to think this is the policy of the current administration, but I let them know that I will be there for a long time and I will stand strong for Israel. And I think that's the sentiment of people here in Tennessee. Well, you know, something you said while ago kind of resonated with me because, you know, I sit over here and go, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? Like, how can that be okay? Like common sense. I'm, I'm not a politician. I don't understand all that stuff, but common sense would tell me that you don't do some of those things. But when you said that if President Trump implemented it, we're going to do just the opposite. So it's more of a, I don't like you. So if you did it, we're going to do just the opposite. We're going to close the pipelines because you opened them. We're going to you know, we're not going to implement your plan. If, if yeah. It's almost like if he had anything to do with it, it we're going to do just the opposite, which is not, you can't reinvent government every four years. We just can't do that. No, we can't do it. And it doesn't send the right message to our allies either. Um, we need to, to assure our allies that there's continuity mm -hmm. in American policy. And if they think that every time, you know, every four years there's a change in the presidency, we can't rely on America mm -hmm. uh, in, in that type of environment, or we can't rely on America past the next election, that creates long-term problems. So I, I think our leaders need to think deeply before taking these sort of short-term decisions. That's why I think it's good that you've got people in the Senate like myself. I'm there for a six-year term. And uh, I meet with a lot of world leaders and let them know I plan to be here for a good long while. Well, I, I think that Tennessee has got some of the best represent, representation in the Senate and Congress. And we all know them. And you guys mm -hmm. are out there fighting for us. And we all don't always have to agree on one policy. But I think if we just agree on what we're doing for the people to keep us safe and keep us prosperous. I think that's what you guys are doing. You're, you're grinding it out yep. and, and looks, I mean, it seems like with all these topics, you don't have a lot of time to sleep. No, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's right. true. but you're, it's you're right. Crazy. We have, we have great representation. Senator Blackburn and I work extremely closely together and we were commenting the other day that I don't believe there are any two senators that work more closely together yeah. uh, than, than your, your Tennessee delegation in the Senate. I work very closely with all of our congressional delegation, Mark Green here in this area mm -hmm. and with, with all of our congressional delegation mm -hmm. as well. We have a good, strong, solid working relationship. I will throw in this though. There is a softball competition every summer that the two senators officer offices take up and I was very proud that Team Haggerty won the <laughs> won the Crockett Cup this year. The Crockett Cup. The Crockett okay, Cup. Tennessee, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, uh, which uh, we 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 probably have have got that in our office mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate you being here. Is there anything that we didn't cover something you just want to would have Well, you might want to tell there? us what this tour you're doing real quick. Tell the Tennesseans about this. Yeah, so this is my first annual Tennessee Economic Development Tour. And I mm -hmm. intend to do this every summer recess to come back to Tennessee to talk with job creators, to talk with not only employers and employees, but farmers, people that work as store clerks, uh, really, you know, connect with folks here in Tennessee to hear what their issues and yeah. what their concerns are. That'll better inform me as I represent the folks in Tennessee. And I want you to know that I'm doing everything I can uh, to facilitate greater economic development and greater opportunity, because I believe in my heart of hearts that a good job solves so many problems. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll be anxious to, or curious to see what some of the feedback you're getting is. I know how I feel, but I'm curious. I think, I think everybody should 
agrees with me, but I want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be th- th- this will be a good opportunity to do that. I I stay in touch with folks by phone or when they come through Washington, mm-hmm. but this is a chance for me to be here, yep. right here at home in Tennessee, and hear directly from folks. So I'm looking forward to it. Excited about what the trip, will, what the tour. Will, will hold for us here. Well, thank you for joining us today. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much. Yep. Great to be with you. Yep. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single conversation.